Praise the Lord. Good morning. Isn't the Lord good? Say it with me. I know God is good. You know, Brother Hagin used to say, do you know it in your knower? Do you, do you know it down in your knower? Do you know God's good? Boy, I tell you, if you know God's good, you, you just, you're going to win. Amen. And, and say this, I know God is good, and I know his word is truth. Amen. I've always said, if you, you can forget everything else this missionary tells you, but don't ever forget that God's a good God, and don't ever forget that his word is absolute truth. It's not just true. I don't think I've ever said in my entire life God's word is truth. Jesus said, Father, thy word is truth. Wow. When I realized that as a teenager, when I saw that scripture as a teenager, I, I said, well, if this is the truth, if this is truth, then I can find it in this book. I can take it to the bank. If I can find it in here, I can make it happen. Amen. But it's a delight to be with you guys. We love, of course, your pastors. And as he was saying, we go back a long, long way. And, uh, of course, I knew Kim's dad and uh, his with Brother Summerall. And we just go back a long way. You know, some of us have been around for a while. And, uh, but you know what? I, I would rather be here than any place else. I get to preach in a lot of big churches, a lot, a lot of different kind of churches. But, but I'm always looking for the remnant. I'd, I'd rather go to a church that's, that's maybe a little smaller, but they're serious than to go to a mega church where it's just church and they're watching the clock. And you know that Bill Hybels, the guy that invented the seeker-friendly church, the, the famous one, Willow, what is it, Willow Creek, Willow Springs in, in, in Chicago, started the movement of the seeker-sensitive church. And uh, it just blew up. I mean, it just took, took, it took the place by storm. And, uh, but you know, about several years ago, he wrote an article. I've got the article. He wrote an article, and he said, what we did didn't work. He said, the seeker-sensitive church does not work. That's from the father that started it. He said, yes, it gets people in the pews. It gets, it gets, it gets people in the door. It get, may get your offering up a little bit higher because of more people. He said, but, but it does not grow the people. He said, it helps the church. It doesn't help the people. And that's pretty serious when the guy that started the whole thing says, we tried this, we tried it, we did it, we did it, we did it, we filled the buildings, we filled the bank accounts, but we didn't fill the people. So I'm, I'm for, I'm for uh, you know, little as much when God's in it. You know, God looked at all those thousands and thousands that Gideon had, and he said, nah, I can't work with that. There's a bunch of knotheads in that group. <laughs> he said, I got to get this thing down to where it's serious, serious people that'll, that'll take on the lion and the bear and the giant. So it's always a lot to be with you guys. I love being, I love being here. And, and uh, Renee and I both love the church. We just love church. We're both church people. And I was raised in a Pentecostal church and, and, and proud about that heritage. And Renee was raised in that famous old Pentecostal church in Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, the Life Tabernacle that, that uh, Jerry and Kevin Sabell came out of, that Brother Copeland first started his ministry in, and Gordon Lindsay started Christ for the Nations there, and then moved it to Dallas, and then he started Voice of Healing Magazine and Ministries there, and then later moved it to Dallas. But that's a famous old church. And uh, I tell you what, it's, there's a lot of Pentecostal heritage, and uh, I'm really big on heritage, and I, I appreciate the fact that, that uh, God's God. And you know, as teenagers, when we was in church, as, as Pentecostal teenagers, 
as you well know, we, we knew we couldn't get away with anything. We knew the Holy Ghost would tell on us. And we'd just be sitting there minding our own business in church, and one of the dear old saints, men or women, they'd come by and just pat you on the arm, and they'd say, honey, let's go to the prayer room. You think, oh, what did I do? What did I do? And so you went to the prayer room and prayed not till you got through. You prayed till they got through. And I tell you, when they finished, they had gotten through. And, uh, I, and I love that. I remember the first time I met your dad, I, I said, Brother Beerman, you're an absolute legend. I know he just left us for heaven a few weeks ago, and, and of course, your mom not long before that. And uh, what a heritage that is. And, of course, I know all your siblings and have forever. And uh, when Patsy uh, left Colorado and came to Tulsa to go to Rama, um, she uh, just virtually lived in my house. I mean, she didn't live there, but she virtually lived there. Uh, because Candy and Vicki Harrison virtually live there. My sister Debbie, who, uh, who's the, the other part of the marriage he was talking about, um, uh, Debbie uh, uh, was there. And, and so I just had Rainbow students at my house all the time. And I had ORU students in my house all the time. And I had VBI students in my house all the time. And I found out one thing about Bible school students, they're always hungry. <laughs> and I fed, I fed lots of students. I bought lots of pizza, lots of Coke. And uh, then Jackie, my wife, would feed them when I wasn't even there. And uh, a couple of guys are some pretty big churches nowadays out on the East Coast that said, you know, if it hadn't been for, for Brother and Terry and Sister Jackie feeding us, we, we may not have made it through Ramah, you know. Said Jackie would feed us even when Terry was overseas preaching. Said, she'd say, yeah, come on over, I'll feed you. And so uh, we just, we, and, and now so many of those kids are in the ministry. And, uh, and so we're proud of them. I'll tell you all a little secret. Y'all not tell anybody if I tell you the secret about Patsy. Patsy came to Tulsa with a call of God on her life for missions, which just turned me on. You know, that's my thing, missions. And so uh, Brother Hagen and, and Aretha, Sister Hagen, loved Patsy and really, really started grooming her to be an heir apparent to, you know, just take the whole thing over because she was just so anointed in that area. And then Aretha was a matchmaker. And so she was always trying to marry Patsy off to somebody that, would be there in Tulsa and help run Raymond. What am I doing? I've been married twice, and I've been in the Army. I can follow orders. So just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And uh, so Aretha was always trying to marry her off and everybody else. And uh, I'd always get Patsy aside when I'd be at the home, and she'd be at the house. I'd say, I'd say, honey, don't you let Aretha marry you off to somebody in Tulsa. Don't you let her marry you off and you get stuck in Tulsa. You, you're called to missions. You're called to go to the world. You're called, you're called to reach people around the world. And I tell her that all the time. I say, I love Sister Hagen. I love Brother Hagen. I love Raymond. I love that. But don't you get stuck here. And, uh, and so when she married Tony, I was so happy. Then they went to, to, they went to Italy and were there nine years. And then they went to Singapore. And, and uh, I visited with them many times in Singapore when I was blowing in and out of there and through the world. And then, and then now in Australia. And so uh, I just love all that heritage. I really do. And uh, I'm glad that, uh, that this family has just done such a, uh, just a heritage of, of, of a legacy. Of, you know, as I said to Brother Beerman, you're a legend. Uh, look, at all the, look at all the people that are touched by God, by, by this great family. So uh, praise the Lord. And then, and then your family, your dad. And uh, in fact, I can tell you another little secret. Don't tell anybody this, but, uh, well, I won't even tell you that. Never mind. 
I'll get permission later to tell that story. Praise the Lord. But I'm, I'm delighted to be here, and, uh, and I know you know this as well. My wife and I, Jackie, he mentioned this, said I'll tell you more about it. I hadn't intended to, but I guess I will. Uh, uh, Jackie and I were married 44 years, and uh, she was the love of my life and the light of my life, and then she just went to heaven. And uh, nobody knows why. She wasn't sick. She wasn't in the hospital. She just went to bed one night in Tulsa, and I was preaching in Wisconsin, and we talked on the phone that night. And, love you, love you too. Talk to you tomorrow. Okay. And she went to bed and woke up in heaven. So I got some things to say to her when I get to heaven. And Brother Copeland tells me she left me for a better man. So I, I, I can't argue with that. Uh, and then Renee was married to a wonderful guy, my best friend for 40 years, hunting buddy, fishing buddy, Pastor Dean Garner. And they pastored a great church in Corpus Christi. And they pastored it for 38 years. And, and the four of us actually met when Jackie and I were living in Mexico as missionaries. And Renee was the organist at Lakewood Church for John Osteen. And then her husband, Dean, was the associate pastor for Brother Osteen. So we met 49 years ago. Well, Renee, it'll be Thanksgiving Day, won't it? 49 years. We met on Thanksgiving Day 49 years ago because Brother Osteen always had a missions conference over Thanksgiving holidays. And so, uh, yeah, so we always would. We spent a lot of Thanksgivings at Lakewood Church in Houston. But Renee and Dean and Jackie and I just became fast friends uh, at that meeting in 49 years ago in 1974. And then became, stayed dear, best, close friends for, for all 40 years, and then Dean left us, and then a year and a half later, Jackie left us and left Renee and I lemon, so we just got married and made lemonade. And uh, so uh, we're, uh, we're excited about what God's doing. Amen? I tell Renee she's reaping what she sowed. Her and Dean supported us all these years in missions, and now, and now she's going to missions with me. So she's, uh, she's doing the whole, full, uh, the whole full deal. So come on, greet the people, and then I've got about four or five hours worth I want to preach here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You couldn't do that at a seeker-sensitive church, see? I guess I can just use his. You can just keep I'll just touch his. Hallelujah. Um, this is a very, um, you know, church is just everything about what, what we do, the local church. I just, as I Terry. I these glasses yesterday, and I hadn't decided yet. But they're happy. So. <laughs> um, hallelujah. Isn't the Lord wonderful? I mean, everything about the kingdom of God, as Terry was saying, it, it's such a marvelous opportunity to sit in the presence of God and to come where people of like precious faith. Isn't it amazing how Peter called it precious faith? Precious faith. That we come in here and we talk about like precious faith. And we uh, handle, you know, the most sacred things on the planet. I mean, it, and that's why we can't, we can't handle things carelessly or frivolously or take it or leave it or, or, you know, they won't miss me if I'm not there. You know, and people just get very cavalier about the house of God, the work of God. It's not, you know, we know we're the house. But this place has been dedicated while we're here to the glory of God. And for the, everybody say the work of God. The work of God. We've been, we've been salted. <laughs> we've been salted into the earth uh, to be the light of the world, the flavor, <laughs> the joy. We, we're, when we walk in, it, it's supposed to make everybody, it's supposed to make devils mad and heaven happy. Because God's got a soldier 
that he can count on right there at the moment. You know, my presence is important, not because of who I am in the flesh, but because when I get there, God gets there. And the opportunity for the Holy Ghost to move and, and have someone available to him. I mean, we're just clay. We're just dust. We're just, you know, no matter what you look like in the mirror, good, bad, or ugly, <laughs> I mean, you're just dust. I mean, I, I just, I tell Terry all the time, I just want to be the hungriest person in the room. I just want Jesus. I just want, I don't want to walk in there with any airs, with any attitude, with any, any pomp and circumstance. Uh, you know, I, I just want to, I want to get in there and worship God and hear what the Holy Ghost has to say. And, and I don't need any accolade as much as I appreciate the goodness and the kindness and hospitality that's shown to us. Oh my goodness. The most important thing we have is Jesus and his presence. And that's why you, you have to put the right kind of value on the work of God. The work of God. Uh, I've, I've just been on this Philippians 1.10, Stephen, uh, that, that we might learn to know what is of real value and prize what is excellent so that we're not stumbling or causing other people to stumble. Because what you value and what you honor will determine the quality of life that you live in with your soul, your body, your family, your finances. Are y'all hearing me today? I mean, this is sacred what we do in here. And it doesn't matter, you know, who comes and goes. I mean, churches are just, you know, there's back doors and front doors. They come and they go, you know. And I, Pat, my first husband and I pastored 38 years in Corpus Christi. And, uh, you know, I, I just I just watched the revolving door. That, and most of the time, you know, uh, it, it was just people get, get distracted. They get discouraged. They get, they get moved off. They get lukewarm. You know, they came in desperate but left, you know, in the flesh, left confident in the, who they were. And, and I just want to encourage everybody, there's two things that attract the presence of God. And you need the presence of God more than you need anything on this planet. You need the Holy Ghost on the inside of you, strong, every day, communicating with you. But otherwise, you're going to be left to your carnal mind. And you know what, what the carnal mind in Romans 8 says? It is, what is a carnal mind? Paul said in Romans 8, I think it's verse 7 or 8. He said, the carnal mind is sense and reason without the Holy Ghost. You want to live that way every day? I don't. You know, the presence of the Lord is the fullness of God living and moving in your heart. And if you're hungry, you're broken, you're contrite before the Lord, that he can, he can mold you and make you, that's the most important part of your relationship with him. Because those two things that attract him are gratitude and humility. And when people get exalted in who they are and their gift and what they're called to do or what they're doing in church, you've gotten over into sense and reason without the Holy Ghost, and you're on dangerous ground, you know? And it behooves all of us. One thing the local church does is that when you get in here, there's a corporate anointing, and it'll begin to soften your heart. 
And if you're sitting in here hard-hearted, if any, I'm just saying anybody. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not talking to, you know, to whoever's guilty. I mean, I don't know. I don't even want to know. That's between them and God. You know, God deliver me from knowing. Like Paul said, I, I'm determined to know no man among you except Jesus Christ. You know, but whatever's in your heart, submit it to the Lord. Your thinking, your attitude about things, and let God keep you soft. You know, keep you so gentle. And yet, you know, if teaching, Terry teaches so much on spiritual authority. I mean, we are like Old Testament warriors. We're wild, crazy, mad prayers. <laughs> I mean, I pray mad. I pray ugly. I mean, I pray, get them, Lord. Devour them. Smite, smite them. There in Deuteronomy 33, I was going to tell, tell you all this scripture. I don't know exactly where it is. But you know, in Deuteronomy 33, one of the scriptures that, that the Lord says, the first part of it is just so sweet. And then the last part of it is kill them all. And I just thought, somebody looked that up for me. It's Deuteronomy 33, and it's like verse 7 or 8. And the Lord says, underneath are the everlasting arms. And the Lord says, destroy, destroy them all. <laughs> I mean, he said, I'm going to take care of you, but I will do them in. He's, I will use you to conquer your enemies. Amen. And I'm telling you, we, how many of you can hold two thoughts in your head at the same time? <laughs> I can be very kind and very caring and yet be militantly aggressive in the realm of the spirit to destroy the works of the enemy. I can hold two thoughts in my head at the same time. I can learn to walk in the nine fruit of the Spirit and, and, and be mature emotionally. Because that's what it's for, is to mature you emotionally with God's nine fruit of the Spirit. But then I'm telling you, when you live out of the power of the Holy Ghost, you assault hell every day with no mercy, take no prisoners. And that's, how, that's what church is for, is to remind you of all of that. Every single week. Okay, well, I'm done. And I'm, you know, how many of you know I'm not preaching mad? I'm preaching glad. You know, God bless you all. Thank you, thank you. Praise the You know, Renee and I have, have always said you need to be a sweet, kind, loving New Testament believer every day with all the grace and love and mercy and long-suffering and tenderness and meekness and all that. Well, that's great. Unless the devil shows up. And the instant he shows up, then you turn into an Old Testament fierce. Everybody say fierce. Fierce warrior. When they built the wall for Nehemiah, they built that wall with a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other. And they were, they were happy to be left alone and just build their wall, but they also had the sword there in case the devil stuck his head up. I tell you, ever since this attack on Israel a few weeks ago, Renee and I, I tell you how Renee and I pray. You, you may not like me after I say this, but uh, I tell you how we pray. We pray like David prayed. We say, Father, concerning Hamas and Hezbollah and radical Islamic terrorists and jihad and Al-Qaeda and ISIS and all that same bunch, we pray like David prayed. Break their teeth and smite their cheeks. They have attacked Israel. I mean, cut heads off of little babies. We're not talking about any kind of honor here. You know. Amen. God expects us when we go to war to have some honor. They have no honor. 
they just hate Christians and they hate uh, Jews. And so uh, we don't pray nice about that. And we know who's going to win anyway, so we might just help it along with prayer. They break their teeth and strike their cheeks. Amen. Well, let's pray. Stand up with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this great and wonderful time today. Thank you for the opportunity, the, the honor of being in church. And not just a church that just runs in and has three fast songs, three slow songs, some announcement offering, and a 20-minute sermon and go home. No, a church that's, that's on purpose. A church that's on fire. A church that will be a New Testament believer and sweet and wonderful and lovely and kind. But we're not taking anything off the devil. We're gonna, we'll turn into an Old Testament fierce warrior in Jesus' name. And we'll defend you and defend the word. And we'll defend each other and we'll defend Israel. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for this service today. Thank you as we're coming up on Thanksgiving, Lord, that we have so much to be thankful for. And we give you glory and honor. And today, help me get through this. There's some things I really have in my spirit, very strong, that I haven't even said other places, that uh, uh, I want to get across today in, in, the, in, in the allotted time here and uh, cause it to be a, uh, a, a quick learn today. Cause it to be a quick learn, that it gets in our spirit and we just say, that's right, that's, that's exactly what we're going to do. And we thank you for it and give you glory and honor and praise and majesty and dominion in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, I have a testimony that so many people know and talk about because it's old. It's an old testimony. And uh, uh, it, it's been very documented and so many preachers tell it. And Kenneth Coburn said to me decades ago, he said, you don't care, you know why I tell your stories? And why Brother Hagin tells your stories? Why Old Roberts and Neil Osborne and these guys all tell your stories? I said, no, sir, I don't have any idea. And he said, because you're doing, in Mexico as a missionary, you're doing what we're preaching. He said, we're, he said, we're preaching it up here and then you're going down there and doing it. And so it's, a, it's, it's an example of what we're, what we're teaching. Well, that, that's what the word is. The, the word makes you win. Amen. The word puts you over. It makes you win. And so... Uh, when in, in 1974, the same year I met Renee and Dean, um, uh, in, in fact, in October of 74, so it just passed the 49-year anniversary, uh, Jackie and I were living in Guadalajara as missionaries, and I picked up a hitchhiker. And I'm not going into this whole story because it just takes time, and most of you have heard it one way or another because uh, it's an old, it's a 49-year-old story. And I picked up a hitchhiker in Mexico, and I was going to tell him about Jesus, and he pulled a, coat, a gun out from under his coat and cocked the hammer and stuck it in my ribs and grabbed my collar like that, and he said, I'm going to kill you. And I said, you can't kill me. I'm a man of God, and I've got authority over you in the name of Jesus. And he said, I said, I'm going to kill you. And I said, no, I said, I'm a man of God, and I've got authority over you in the name of Jesus. You can't kill me. And this went on for a while, and, uh, and I said this to the Lord. I said, now, Father, Jesus said in Luke 10, 19 that he gave me authority or power or dominion over all the power of the enemy and nothing, and I spelled it for the Lord, N-O-T-H-I-N-G, no thing shall by any means hurt me. I said, that's your word, that's your covenant. And I said, and if he pulls the trigger, you must, M-U-S-T, you must do something with the bullets for your covenant's sake. I said, it's not for my sake. I'm just a missionary. I can go to heaven or whatever. That's, that's not the issue here. It, it's for your covenant's sake, your word's at stake here, your, your covenant's at stake here because your covenant said nothing, N-O-T. 
T-H-I-N-G, no thing shall by any means hurt me. So this man, his gun, his voice cannot hurt me. And then later, he, we stopped the car, and he, he got, came up as close to me as, as I am to, to pastor and, and shot at me five times, point-blank range, center mass. And uh, the voice didn't hit me, and I don't know where they went. And in 49 years, I've never asked the Lord where they went, and I don't care. In 49 years, people say, Terry, what happened? How did God do that? I don't know. Don't care. That's not my job. My job is to believe it, to believe the covenant. And God's job is to do it. That's all I care about, that you win because you do your job and God does his job. Amen? And so for all these 49 years, people have said, you know, and they make a big deal of it and say it's such a great faith testimony and I'm such a great faith guy. And I, I've told people for 49 years, I said, you know, I've never thought I was a great faith guy. I mean, what else could I do? All I did is what, what I knew would work. Now, I'm a Texas boy. I was raised out here in Midland, Texas. I've carried a gun since... Moses was a corporal, you know, and living out there in West Texas, I've shot more rabbits than probably half the rabbits in the state of Texas. And, uh, uh, and so I always kept a pistol under the seat. And so I'd just be driving along down the highway, you know, and a, and a coyote would go across or a snake would go across or a, a, a rabbit would go across. Man, I'd just pull over in the bar ditch, reach down there and grab that pistol. And, and, and I've just always said, Steve, I'm so glad I didn't have a gun that day. Because in Mexico, it's illegal to have a gun. It's automatic jail term, so I didn't take my gun. I didn't have my gun in the car that day. Thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. And so I just used what would work. You know, I, I, I didn't do any. I didn't think it was a great faith feat. I just, and people said, Terry, how did you do that? I said, well, I used the blood. I used the name. I used the word. I used the covenant. And I used the power of the Holy Spirit. And then I did it again. 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 In this several-hour ordeal, I just kept doing the same thing again. Because Brother Copeland told us way back in those days, back in the 70s, I heard him say one time, this is not a nine-inning ball game. We play till we win. So I just kept playing. I'm going to play till I win. And t my dear friend T.L. Osborne told me decades ago, he said, Terry, always stay till the devil leaves. Amen. So I thought, I'm, I'm, in, this, I'm in this thing for a long haul. I'm sticking with this thing until I win. And so, so people say, well, how'd you do it? Well, I just used, the, I just used the, the name, and I used the blood, and I used the word, and I used the covenant, and I used the power of the Holy Spirit, and then I did it again, then I did it again, then I did it again. And, and then sometimes people come up and ask me, so what does that mean? Because to me, it's just normal. So sometimes us preachers, things are normal to us, so we don't take time to explain it. But so I want to talk about that a little bit this morning, because I haven't, I haven't done that in 49 years, really. I've just, I've just told the testimony and said, thank God for what he did. Thank God the word works, Right. But uh, uh, say, say the name, the name, the name, say the blood, say the word, say the covenant, the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, probably three or four of those songs they sang up here this morning were about that exactly. It was, we know God's going to do it. Why do we know that? Because of the word and the name and the blood and the, power, the covenant and the power of the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus do when, when Satan came and tempted him? Jesus said, the word, it is written. Jesus, did you ever stop and think that Jesus went, every time the devil tempted him those three times, that Jesus went over in the Old Testament, which is where he was, and got the only scriptures he had were Old Testament scriptures. And he reached down in that well of knowledge because he is the word. He knew the word. 
And he grabbed three little scriptures out of Deuteronomy and beat the devil with it. Who would have thunk you could beat the devil with three little scriptures out of Deuteronomy? <laughs> and he just said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall thou serve. It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And, and the devil left. Three little scriptures out of Deuteronomy. What did Jesus do? He used the word. And he was the name. <laughs> he knew the covenant. He was there. Every time God cut a covenant, he was there. In fact, he, God cut a covenant with him. Amen. And, of course, he had the power of the Holy Ghost, who had been a personal friend of his for quite a while. Isn't that right? And so I want to talk about that just a little bit today because people have asked me over a, a, a long time. You know, I've heard preachers preach David and Goliath so many times in my life, as you all have, uh, and you hear all kind of things said. And, and I've heard many preachers say, you know, David stopped on the way out there to meet Goliath. He stopped by the brook and picked up five smooth stones. And then I've heard preachers preach that those five smooth stones were because Goliath had brothers and he figured he'd run into four of them more. And I've heard all kinds of things. But one time I asked the Lord years and years ago, I said, Lord, is there any significance to the five smooth stones? I said, I know it's a sermon people preach all the time, but is there any real Bible significance to that? And, and God didn't speak anything to me, but the instant I asked it, it popped up in my, in my heart. Yeah, it's the name, it's the blood, it's the word, it's the covenant. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit. See, David had all those things. Even though he's in the Old Testament, he still has the name. In fact, he had a bunch of names. He had Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Reah, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Sikhanu, Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah Roe, Jehovah Shabbat. Amen. The Lord of Hosts. That's who you want to call on when somebody's shooting at you. I want the Lord of Hosts. I want the Lord. I want the boss of the angel armies. Lord of hosts, sick them. And, that, and that's what happened to Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. That host came from Jehovah Sabah, the Lord of hosts, by on a direct order from him to go kill those guys because they're trying to kill Israel. And so Israel had gotten across on dry ground when the Red Sea stood up. And then here comes Pharaoh and all his thousands and thousands of horsemen and chariots and and soldiers and infantry and all this. When they got out there, all in the Red Sea on dry ground, then God said, charge. And those angels, who I've always thought angels are pretty cool. You know, I think they have a sense of humor. Because the Bible says they went down and took the wheels off the chariots. Can you imagine those guys say, how do y'all want to handle this? Hey, Michael, Gabriel, how do y'all want to handle this today? What are you going to do? I know. Let's just take the wheels off their chariots. And it says they took the wheels off the chariots so that they drave heavily. They drove heavily. They drave heavily, and if you couldn't go anywhere, and then here comes the water. Killed them all. Well, who did that? The, the, the host. The armies of the living God. And so David had the host. He had Jehovah Sabah. He had all those names of God. He could just pick anyone he wanted to. When, are, are you sick? Well, you need, then you need the name of Jehovah Rapha. 
Are you, are you kind of anxious and got anxiety and worried about something and scared about something? Well, how about Jehovah Shalom, your peace? Oh, I can both lay me down and sleep because you keep me in perfect peace. Because you're Jehovah Shalom. Right? I mean, just whichever, whichever name you need to use, God's all of them. He specializes in all of those things. You know, I'm your father, I'm your mother, I'm your, you know, El Shaddai means I'm the many-breasted one. I'm your father, I'm your mother, I'm your, I'm your source of supply. Whatever you've got, whatever you need, I got it. And then Joshua chapter 10, Joshua and his army, his one army, is being attacked by five kings and their armies, five armies against one army. And the Bible says the angels got involved in that thing and started throwing hailstones. And this wasn't just a hailstorm because the good guys didn't get hit with them. It says that, it says that the hailstones killed more of the enemy than the war did. Can you imagine those angels saying, hey, watch this guy. I got a, I got a spitball. <laughs> you know, and he winds up and just takes them out. And they're, they're sitting up there throwing fastballs, spitballs, curveballs, I mean, and just killing the enemy right and left. And it says more of the enemy died from the hailstones. Didn't say any of the Jews died. So these angels are a big part of God's kingdom. And, and of course, we forget them. You know? You know, when we're, when we're kids, we, we love all these stories and we, we think we've got angels and and, and we, but you know, then you grow up, and then you get smart, then you think you know it all, and that's exactly what was happening to King Saul at the Valley of Elah when Goliath came out twice a day for how many days? Forty days, and made a speech. How many times have they heard it? Eighty times. Eighty times. First Samuel seventeen. They've heard this guy come out every day, twice a day for 40 days and say, send me a man to fight. And if he kills me, then we'll be servants to Saul. And if I kill him, then you'll be servants to the Philistines. And he said this twice a day, every day for 40 days. And it didn't have to be David. It could have been, and maybe even should have been, King Saul. King Saul was not a small fella. The Bible says that King Saul was head and shoulders above every man in Israel. So whoever the tallest guy in Israel was, King Saul was a good foot taller than him. He might have been pushing seven feet. Who knows? Not that size matters, but I'm just saying he wasn't a little guy. And, but, it, but it could have been him because when he was a child, as every one of those soldiers in that army, when they were children, they knew all those Bible stories. They knew about the hailstones. They knew about the taking the chariot wheels off. They knew about the miracles God had done and the miracles God had done and the miracles God had done and the miracles. They knew those stories from the time they were sitting on their, their parents and grandparents' knee hearing those stories over and over and over. They knew those stories. But then they grew up. And then they joined the army. And now they don't believe that kid stuff anymore. And so... Saul is scared out of his mind. Now, I've had people ask me, they say, Terry, why do you say Saul was scared? How do you know that? Because verse 11 says, King Saul and all the army of Israel were greatly afraid. That's how I know that. I looked at the word. 
They were scared, and scared, scared will always get you in trouble. You know, you know, Pastor T, whenever that guy pulled that gun out from his coat and cocked it, stuck it in my ribs and grabbed my car, I said, driving along, my mom did it all of a sudden. It scared me. First thing it did is my heart jumped up my throat. It scared me. Whoa. Just the shock of it. Just what? But immediately I knew fear will get me killed. I was more concerned, Kimberly, with the fear than I was about the gun. Seriously, I was more concerned. Terry, you get your act together on this fear thing. I can handle the gun. God can handle the gun. You need to handle the fear. Right? So I immediately, I was driving like this. I, I grabbed my left ear with my, this hand. And I said, Terry, you handle this in the spirit. You're not a head person. You're a spirit person. You let your spirit man take over here, and you use the blood in the name of the word <laughs> and the, the covenant and the power of the Holy Ghost, and uh, you'll win. You got that? You got that, boy? You got that? Yeah, yeah I, I got it. I got it. Boy, I'm driving along. I'm good. And he'd, he'd poke me and yell at me again. Terry, get your act together, son. Fear, I rebuke you. God's not giving me the spirit of fear, but the, power, the spirit of power and love and a sound mind. The Bible says fear has torment. But that God is but perfect love casts out fear. God's love. I've got God. Fear you go. And so I never was scared again. I, I dealt with the fear, first of all, because fear is a killer. Fear and faith cannot live in the same house. Say that. Fear and faith cannot live in the same house. You've got to get rid of fear. So I was never scared again through that whole ordeal, not even when he was shooting at me five times. Never was scared again because I'd, I'd handle that fear, right? And I was using the name. And I was using the word. In fact, that morning when I, when I left my hotel to get on the highway to go to Guadalajara, uh, I grabbed the tape by Kenneth Copeland on the integrity of the word of God and stuck it in the player. And so Kenneth was preaching. I just let him preach the whole time. You know, the whole time this thing's going on, I'm driving and he's doing this. Uh, I'm, Kenneth's just preaching. I figured, boy, if there's any time I need to hear this, this would be a good time. So just let it play. You know, let it play. And, uh, and so, so I... I would get my act together and immediately go to the word and go to the name. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I'm going to, no, you can't. I'm a man of God. I've got authority over you in the name of Jesus. You can't, you can't, you can't kill me. You can't kill me. You can't kill me. We got outside the car. He walked up to me and said, give me your money and all that stuff. I stuck my finger in his face and I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. When I did, he took the barrel of that gun and just hit me in the forehead with it. He just went pop like that. And it hurt, man. I mean, it knocked me over my over the hood of my car. I'm laying there seeing stars, you know. And uh, I shook my head and pushed back up. And uh, and I just stepped into him, put my finger in his in his face, passed his gun like this. And I said, and I said, I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You can't kill me. You can't hurt me in any way. And that's when he just jumped backwards and shot at me five times. And bullet didn't hit me. Amen. But see, when David went, went to the, when Jesse, his daddy, sent him to the army to see the war, which there wasn't any war. They was all scared. Um, he sent bread and cheese with him. And three of his brothers were in the army. So as he got there, those three brothers came up. The oldest brother, Eliab, he started chiding David and saying, Say, I know the naughtiness of your heart. Who have you left those few sheep with? He didn't give him credit for tending a flock. He said, those few sheep. Just that intimidation 
disrespect, disrespect, dishonor. You're nobody. Who have you left those few sheep with? And so uh, Goliath comes out and makes his speech. David didn't say anything about it, didn't do anything about it. Most of the time you hear this, some preacher preach on this, and I've heard it all my life. Uh, they'll say, oh, when David heard what Goliath said about, about the armies of God, it, it just gave him a righteous indignation, and he just thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defend God, and I'll go kill that guy, you know, for God. No, 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 no. David, David heard the same speech. They all heard and never said a thing about it. And then one of the guys said this. Let me turn over here to 1 Samuel 17. You all know the story, but you, you won't like it anyway. Uh Let's go to about verse 20. And I, I know I'm going fast because I'm, I'm watching my clock here. So I, I, I want to, but I do want to get the point across here. Uh, mm, verse 20. Uh, no, let's go down to verse 22. And David left the carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran to the army and came and saluted his brothers. As he talked with them, the chant, the, uh, the chant, the, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistine, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. What do you mean the same words? He said, it means he said the same thing he'd been saying the last 40 days. He came out and just gave the same speech. And David heard them. Now, when David heard them, he didn't do anything about it. He didn't say, well, bless God, I'll go out there and kill him. No, he didn't say anything. But all of a sudden, somebody said this. It says in verse 11 here, or verse 24, it says, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. If you go back to verse 11, I was talking about a while ago, it says, When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. How come I know Saul was scared? And it says, All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And David's right there with them. But all of a sudden, somebody said something that got his attention. Now, I've always said David's just God's opportunist. He's the right place at the right time. And if you'd be God's opportunist, you, you, could, you could profit off some stuff like David did. And it says, uh, the men of Israel said, verse 25, Have you seen this man that's come up? Surely to defy Israel has he come up. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches and give him his daughter to marry and make his father's house free in Israel. Now what chance in a million does a shepherd boy have in marrying the princess? getting great riches and getting his father's house free in Israel. None. But here it is. And David hears it. And I'm sure I know what David's thinking. David's thinking, I need to go kill that guy before one of these guys wake up and do it themselves. Because <laughs> see, see, God's all about covenant. That's why I said the name, the blood, the word, the covenant the power of the Holy Spirit. God's all about covenant. And David had been meditating on that covenant. He'd been out there playing that harp and singing praise and worship songs and writing songs and loving God and watching the sheep. And, and uh, so he has had covenant on his mind all the time. See, God's a covenant God. He cut a covenant with, Ab with Adam, cut a covenant with Noah, with Abraham. Isn't that right? Cut a covenant with Jesus, cut a covenant with us. You know, the Bible says there with Noah that he put the rainbow in the sky. And, and, and notice it, a lot of Christians miss this. The rainbow is not the covenant. It says it shall be a token of the covenant. It'll just remind you of the covenant. So every time you see that rainbow, you say, oh, yeah. God gave us a covenant. He'll never destroy the earth and water again, right? And, and so uh, the circumcision, 
whenever God cut the covenant with Abraham in, in Genesis 12 and Genesis 17, God said to him, he said, uh, you take a little, a little uh, every, every male child that's born, and on the eighth day, you circumcise him. There'll be shedding of the blood. And he said, and, and then um, the, the circumcision is not the covenant, but he said the circumcision is the token of the covenant. Right? So that's what David's thinking about. He's thinking, I have a covenant with God. Saul has a covenant with God. My knot-headed three brothers have a covenant with God. All these soldiers have a covenant with God, but they've forgotten it. See, it could have just been a little two-year-old Hebrew baby boy went out there and threw his baby bottle at Goliath. He'd have fallen over dead because he had a covenant. So David's thinking, this guy does not have a covenant. He's a loser. I have a covenant. I'm a winner. All these guys have the covenant I have. They're all winners, but they've forgotten it because now they're soldiers. They've put away those childish things. Now they know what they're supposed to do. You know, it's kind of like trying to get an auto mechanic to believe God for his car or a doctor to believe God for his health or anybody that has any training and education and, and knowledge. Uh, the more knowledge they have about something, the harder it is for them to get in faith. Because I said, no, 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 and that's not how that works. It's, it's, it's it, the knee bone's connected to the leg bone, and the leg bone's connected. And God said, oh, no, 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 we're not doing it that way. I'm doing the supernatural. Right. Yeah, but I know that car can't run because, you know, I mean, it, 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 it just doesn't work that way. And God says, I can make that car run without a motor. I've, dri I've driven cars all across Mexico back when Jackie and I were missionaries there. Didn't have a penny to my name. Couldn't buy gas. And I'd just take a piece of cardboard and tape it over the gas gauge. Nowadays, I'd be in trouble. they talk to you and say 50 miles to empty, 49 miles to empty, 39. Man, I'd have, I'd have reached in there and pulled that wire out. But since I couldn't see it, and I just kept saying, Jackie would say, don't you think we've got Yes, baby. But we don't have any money. And God told us to go preach. So it's okay. I mean, I've driven, for, I've driven for days without gas, you know. But you try to get a mechanic to believe that. And then say, it just doesn't work that way. My granddad's a mechanic, I know. Every car he ever worked on, he'd look at me and he'd say, Terry, always remember, everything goes wrong with the car. It's either fire or gas. You either need, you either need electricity, fire, you know, or gasoline. It'll always boil down to those two things on the car, fire or gas. But see, a faith guy says, I don't need fire and I don't need gas because I got the blood and the name and the word and the covenant and the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, the first time I got some money, I went to the gas station because I'm not tempting the Lord my God. <laughs> right? I'm not going to be stupid. And I'm not going to have a pocket full of money and just pass the gas station. Hey, I don't do that. I just, I just go on faith. Now, that ain't going to work. But if I don't have any money and God just told me to go somewhere, then you just go. And see, these guys were soldiers. They thought, we, we, that guy's this big and his, 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 his chain mail weighs this much, his helmet weighs this much, and his spear's this size, and his sword's this size. And, and David wasn't thinking that. He had never had a sword. He had never had any chain mail. He had never had any fighting training, combat training. He's just saying, I got a covenant with God. I can't lose. That guy doesn't have a covenant with God. He can't win. 
And all these guys around me, including my family, they've got a covenant with God, but they've forgotten it. They're scared. I'm not scared. Are y'all with me? And so he, they said, have you seen this man? You get the daughter to marry the great riches, your father's house free in Israel. Uh, and so when he said that, verse 26, David spake to the men that stood by him saying, what did you say? What, 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 what shall be done? Verse 26, what shall be done to the man that kills this Philistine? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? See, every time he uses the word uncircumcised, he's saying covenant. He's referring to nothing but covenant. I, I can hear, Steve, I can hear the disdain in his voice when he said it. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this loser? What is this cancer? What is this COVID? What is this leukemia? What is this diabetes? What, what, what is this that thinks it's going to kill me? I have a covenant with Almighty God. Jehovah Rapha is my God. Right? You're not looking at, this, at, the, at the interest rates, the stock market, whenever God's told you to go do something, you're just saying, I have a covenant with El Shaddai, the God that's more than enough. Right? Are y'all with me? And see, in the New Testament, covenant, covenant to us ought to say the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That'll be all we, that should be all we're thinking. I'm going into this thing knowing about the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a covenant with God. Jesus is that covenant. Right? Are, are y'all with me? See, I, I'm, I'm just trying to tell y'all, all these miracles I've had all these years, I've told y'all some over the years, and, 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 but they all come down to that, the name, the word, the blood, the covenant, the power of the Holy Every time I have a prayer line, they're down here, and I walk up to pray for somebody, I never go, I never say, hey, I'm Terry the healer. No, 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 I'm coming in the name of Jesus. I'm only praying for you in the name. I'm only laying hands on you because the word says it. Right? I'm only laying hands on you because we have a covenant of God. Right? I'm only laying hands on you because of the blood. I'm only laying hands on you because of the name. I'm only laying hands on you because of the covenant. I'm only laying hands on you because of the power of the Holy Spirit. When I was just a teenager out here in Midland, Texas, and I was a youth leader, and, and, and people started, you know, I'd pray for sick people, and they'd get healed, and, and, and then people started bringing me sick people. They'd say, Terry, pray for this person, pray for this person. And I'd pray, and they'd get healed, and I'd pray, and they'd get healed, and pray. And then it got, it got to where I st people would bring me, like, blind people and deaf people. And, and I remember one day I said to the Lord, I said, Father, I mean, I was just getting all uptight about it, Kim. I said, they're expecting me to put my hot little hands on them and get them healed, and I, I, I can't do that. And Lord, that's exactly right. You can't. That's exactly right. He said the very last verse of the book of Mark says that the disciples went everywhere and preached, the Lord working with them, not for them, Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. He said your job is not to heal them. You can't heal them. You can't heal a fly with a headache. Your job is to go over and preach. My job is to confirm my word with signs following. Now, you do your part, and I'll do my part. 
And it just released me. I just said, I never got, I never got uptight about praying for anybody after that. Never got uptight. They'd bring me somebody blind and deaf and, you know, and everything. And I didn't, I didn't get any, I didn't have any pressure on me. I can't heal them. I have to lay hands on them in the name. By the blood. Because of the word. Because of the covenant. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So it should come back to us. It's the death. It's the burial. It's the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm just the middleman. I'm just the conduit. I'm just the, the pipe that the water is flowing through. Right? Amen. And so David says, uh, what did you say? So he's heard the reward once. And he's asked him to repeat it once. What did you say? Tell me that again. And so it says, uh, where was that? Verse 25. Uh, or I got down to 26. What shall be done to the man that kills this Philistine, taketh away the reproach of Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And it says, verse 27, And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killed him. So in other words, they tell him the second time what the reward is. They're probably thinking, This kid's kind of dense. We just told him what the reward is, and he wants to know what it is. And so they told him the second time. So now he's heard it twice. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he came and spoke to the men, and his anger was kindled against David and said, Why came us down hither, and who, left, who have you left those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your pride, the gnawing is your heart. You've come down that you might see the battle. Not in any battle. They're all scared. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? And it says here he turned his back on his big brother, back to the men he was talking to, and and. He turns from him toward another and spake after the same manner. What does that mean? It means he asked him again. Tell me again what the reward is. So this is the, this is the second time he's asked him. He's heard it twice. He's asked him to repeat it twice. And it says, and the people answered him again after the former manner, verse 30. So now three times he's heard it. And he said, I believe I will. I believe I will. Because after all, I've got uh, the name. I've got the blood. I've got the word. I've got the covenant. I've got the power of the Holy Spirit. See, we don't think about Old Testament people having that stuff. But they all, they had it. Like I said, David had all those names of God. He knew what name to call him when he needed something. We just say Father God. But they'd say, uh, Lord the healer, I need some healing. Lord my peace, I need some peace. Lord El Shaddai, the God of abundance, the God that's more than enough, I need some money. So they, they knew wh what name to call him based on what problem they had. We just lump it all together and say, Father, help me in the name of Jesus. But he had those names. And then he had the blood. You know, we think, well, he didn't have the blood. I mean, Jesus did not. No, he didn't have the blood of Jesus, but he had all that sacrificial blood. God had set up the sacrificial system. And so once a year, once a year, once a year, the priest would take a goat. They called it the scapegoat. And he had put the sins of Israel symbolically on that goat's head, right? And, uh, and the blood. And then he'd send that goat off out in the wilderness, and the wild animals would kill it. But what that did is it, it atoned for sin of the people 
for one year. And see, Christians today, we, we really get confused on that word atone and, and remission. See, we, we today don't have atonement for sins. The Old Testament had atonement because that means it's covered up. So they put, the, they put the blood on the sacrificial lamb, and it covered the people's sins for a year. It had an expiration date of 365 days. And so you had to do it again. But during those 365 days, you were cool, right? But then you do it again, and then you get atoned for again. You get it covered up again. But in the New Testament, we don't have atonement. We have remission of sin. And remission means washed away, done away with, never existed, and no expiration date. Isn't that right? So when we come before God and say, Father, I'm sorry, I repent of that. I put that under the blood. Forgive me for that. I'm sorry. I won't do that anymore. I repent. Repent means turn around and go the other way and don't do it anymore. doesn't just mean say, I'm sorry, and then do it again. No, no, no. See? And, and so our sins ha have remission. So when you got saved, God took that blood of Jesus and, and dipped you in it. And that did away with your sins. Now you're justified. Somebody said long before I came on the scene, does that mean just as if I'd never sinned? Justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. God treats you just as if you'd never sinned. There is no sin. And you, you tell the Lord, Father, I really, I've been feeling bad about what I did six months ago, and, 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 I, and I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm just, the Lord says, what are you talking about? Didn't you repent of that six months ago? Yes, sir, I did. Well, then I don't know what you're talking about. See, it's not covered up. It's washed away. So, but David had that. He had the cover-up. He had the atonement. And so he had the name, all those names of God. He had the word, all those the word scriptures all through the Old Testament. He, man, man, there's a bunch of scriptures in the Old Testament. I, I get real miffed, I guess, at church people today that come up and tell me, and I better tell you, I don't like the Old Testament. I don't like the law. So you got to be kidding me. If that's true, you need to quit confessing Psalms 91. Because I don't know if you know it or not, but most every promise you ever quote about yourself, for yourself, come out of the Old Testament. I like it. Yeah, God gives me the power to get well. <laughs> Old Testament. I mean, all those scriptures in the Old Testament that we confess and confess. No plague comes down my dwelling. <laughs> Old Testament. No evil befall me. <laughs> Old Testament. Well, hey, bring it on. I'm for it. So they had that word. They had all that word, the blood, the name, the word. Then they had the covenant because they really knew about covenant. We don't really know about covenant. I mean, as Christians do, but, but the average American or the average person in the world, you ask them about covenant, they don't know what you're talking about. But covenant means something to us. Hey, I have a covenant with God. God cut covenant with Jesus for our, for our sake. Jesus died for our sake. Jesus went to the cross for our sake. Jesus' death, his burial was for our sake. His resurrection, thank God, was for our sake. You see those five smooth stones? You, and see, David had all that. He had all those things. He had the, he had the covenant. He had the, what a covenant God he is. And he had the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, the Holy Spirit wasn't given until, until the, you know, the day of Pentecost. Well, yeah, but Jesus and him had been like this for a long time. Right? 
And see, those Old Testament people, we forget about this, they had the Holy Ghost too. They just didn't have him living in them. Because if you weren't born again, he'd kill you. That's why God said, don't touch the Ark of the Covenant. It's not because God hates them and God's mad at them. It's just that you don't have a recreated human spirit. If you touch that thing, that will kill you. you if somebody brought the Ark of the Covenant in here today and set it up here, y'all could all walk up here and touch it because you're born again. You have a recreated human spirit. It's not going to kill you, right? But, but you, you, can't, you can't have the Holy Ghost without being saved. You've got to have that recreated human spirit. You've got to be saved so that you can receive the Holy Ghost so that you can use Holy Ghost power without it killing you. So see, in the Old Testament, the, the Holy Ghost would come on somebody, and they'd do a supernatural act, and then they'd lift because they couldn't stand it. But now, New Testament, it's, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. You go to bed at night with the Holy Ghost. You get up in the morning with the Holy Ghost. You spend your whole day with the Holy Ghost. You, you, it's, it's an ever-ending deal. It's, it's, he's in you. But see, he came on Samson and killed a thousand and turned Jonah to the donkey. That's a supernatural act. But then it lifted. It, it, Samson couldn't have stood that. It, it, it lifted. The Spirit of God came on Elijah and he outran the king's chariots. And then it lifted. In fact, he was so wiped out over that. He outran the king's chariots because he thought Jezebel was going to kill him. You know, Jezebel, I don't know if y'all ever read this or not, but Jezebel's last tweet. Do you say tweet anymore or are you X? <laughs> anyway, her last tweet said, I'm going to kill you. You have just murdered. You have just slaughtered. You have just killed my 850 demon-possessed prophets. Satanist. She had 450 prophets of Baal, demon-possessed witch doctors that I've run into all over the world. And then she had 400 prophets of the groves, which are more like medicine men and, you know, just guys trying to help people with their stuff. And it says they ate at her table. She fed these 850 clowns every day. And Elijah had just said, hey, you call on your God, and if nothing happens, then I'll call on my God, and he'll, he'll send fire down and consume this altar, and whoever's God's God, we'll, uh, we'll serve them. Well, somehow he forgot about that because when it was all over with and their God didn't show up and his God did and consumed the altar, uh, the sacrifice, he didn't just say, well, now I'm going to give an altar call and we'll all serve him. He just took the sword and killed them all. That's a job for an old man. One guy. Killing 850 guys. And then, Eli and then Jezebel sent him a tweet because they haven't sent her one. She said, you know what just happened to your four, 850 and she sent him a message and said, so shall the gods do to me what you just did to them if by this time tomorrow you're not a dead man. And it scared him. He shouldn't have got scared. He just pulled off one of the greatest miracles in history, and now he's scared of Jezebel. So he takes off running. And he outruns the king's chariots. But when he finally got to the end of his run, he just collapsed because now the Holy Ghost is gone. It came on him and he outran the horses, but now there's nothing. The Holy Spirit's lifted. And so he got under a juniper tree 
And started feeling sorry for himself. Said, oh, Lord, I, I wish I was dead. No, he didn't wish he was dead. He'd have stayed up there and let Jezebel do it. He just whining and feeling sorry for himself. And he went to sleep. And when he, while he was sleeping, the angels showed up. And they, made, they brought him a cake. And they brought him some water. And when he woke up, they said, here, eat this cake and this water. You know what kind of cake it was? It was angel food. <laughs> and it says when he ate that cake and drank that water, that he didn't have to eat again for 40 days. That was some high protein. I mean, that was some, that was some serious cake. He didn't have to eat again for 40 days. He went in the strength of that cake in that water. Amen. But see, the Spirit of God came on him. He did a supernatural act. The Spirit of God left. In the New Testament, it's Christ in you. You have the Holy Ghost 24-7, right? You've got the covenant 24-7. You've got the name 24-7. You've got the blood 24-7. You've got the word 24-7. Does that make sense to you? So see, that day with that hitchhiker, people say, you weren't scared? I said, no, I never, I never was scared after I, after I rebuked the fear because I knew, I knew I had those five smooth stones. I knew I had the word. This guy can't win. He didn't have a covenant. I've got the word. I've got the name. I've got the blood. I've got the, I've got the covenant. I've got the power of the Holy Ghost. What's he got? He's got a loaded gun. In fact, I told him that. He said, aren't you scared? Aren't you scared of me? I said, no, why should I be scared? I said, all you have is a loaded gun. All you have is a loaded gun. I've got the name of Jesus. I win. You're gone. He thought I was crazy. Why should I be scared of you? All you've got is a loaded gun. That's the best you got. It's the best you got. It's a loaded gun. I've got the blood. I've got the word. I've got the name. I've got the covenant. I've got the power of the Holy Ghost. I win. You know, the last three times, I need to quit. I just Let me say this to you. The last three times I was in Burma, separate trips, not the same trip, three times going into Burma in the jungles, the Buddhist army, 100,000 strong, sent me personal death message, threats. And they said, you tell Terry Mize if he comes out here, we will kill him. And I sent him a message back and said, I'm coming in the name of Jesus, and Buddha can't kill me. So I went and did my job and came home. Next time I was over there, I, same thing. You tell Terry Mines if he comes out here, we'll kill him. Because they knew I was coming because those, those, those villages would put flyers up. They'd have runners go through the jungles and put little flyers up in the villages and say, Terry Mines is coming and come see a man sent by God and blind, see, deaf, hear, lame, walk. You know, Jesus Christ will heal you. And so they knew I was coming. So they'd just send me on the back of one of those flyers a message and say, you tell Terry Mines if he comes out here, we'll kill him. So I sent them the same message back. I said, I, I'm coming in the name of Jesus, and Buddha can't kill me. Third time I was over there, they said, you tell Terry Miles if you come out here, we'll kill him. And I sent them this message back. I said, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I said, this is the third time you told me you was going to kill me. You hadn't done it yet. And I said, if you're going to kill me, you better get some help. Because you only have 100,000 in your army, and I've got more with me than you got with you. And my missionary friend said, well, Terry, if you're not going to use wisdom, that's what Christians always tell you, if you're not going to use wisdom, I had my oldest son, Lynn, and my oldest daughter, Lori, with me, and they said, at least leave your kids back here with us and don't put them in harm's way. I said, they'll be safe wherever I'm at. 
they're going with me. And we went, you know. But did y'all get anything out of all this? I just, man, I wanted to get that out so much today. But I just, I just feel that those, we all have those five smooth stones. And we'll always win because of it. Just because the doctor scratches his chin and says there's no hope. Nothing wrong with him doing that. He's a doctor. He's going by the facts he has and the training he has, education he has. But you're going by the education you have, right? But when he looks at you and scratches his chin and says, I'm sorry, there's no hope. You just have to say, yeah, but I've got the name. And I've got the word. And I've got the blood. And I've got the covenant. And I've got the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You remember when Saul told David he couldn't go and David said this to him. He said, look, king, he said, when I was keeping the sheep, a lion came and a bear and took a sheep and ran off with it. And he said, I chased him down. I chased him down. I chased him down and took it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I grabbed him by his beard and killed him. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. What does that mean? It means he'll be graveyard dead. Right? You know, you, you know in your Bible at home, the 20-pound one on the coffee table? It'll have some religious pictures in it. And there's a famous, famous, famous painting. It's in the Louvre in, in Paris. Big, beautiful, wonderful painting. You walk into the Louvre, and there it is. And it's, it's a painting of this scene where David is standing off over here with his sling. He's already got his hand up like this. And over there about 30 yards is a bear or a lion. Well, see, that's totally inaccurate. David wasn't 30 yards away with a stone. He said, I took it out of his mouth. He was so righteously indignant that when he was up there playing that harp and meditating on God, and he heard that sheep going, eh, man, he, goes, he sees this lion, and he, he just went out there and said, put that sheep down. That's my daddy's sheep. You're not taking that sheep. And I took it out of his mouth. And then he rose against me. When he did, I just caught him by his beard. And said, I like this kid. And so Saul pats him on the back and says, go, son, and the Lord be with thee. He didn't believe the Lord was going to be with him, or he'd have done it himself. And then it says, when David went out, and he picked up those five smooth stones. And then David began to curse him by his demon gods. Excuse me, God began to curse David by his demon gods. And you can't stop that. I want to get, I want to get that across to you. You cannot stop the devil from cursing you. He'll curse you and damn you and tell you, I'll kill you. I'll kill your kids. I'll kill your grandkids. You got out of it last time. You won't get out of this. I'll destroy your marriage. I'll destroy the church. I'll destroy your business. You can't stop that. But when he finishes, you must, M-U-S-T, have an answer. And when Goliath finished cursing him by his Demon God. You ought to go back and read 1 Samuel 17 again today. Uh, it, it says, uh, when he finished him, and Philistine said, I come to me and I'll give your flesh to the fowl of the air and the beast. Verse 45 is one of the favorite scriptures. One of the, it's, it's a scripture that makes all this work. It says, then said David to the Philistine. See, every time there must be a then says you. Then says me. 
He'll curse you. He'll damn you. He'll rebuke you. He'll, he'll threaten you, and you can't stop that. But then there needs to be a then says me. Then said David to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a shield, but I come to you in the what? The name. He had the name. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. In this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will smite you and take your head from you. This kid didn't even have a pocket knife. I will smite you and take your head from you, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistine this day to the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there's a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord, now he's going to give him some scripture, that the Lord saves not with a sword and a spear, for the battle is the Lord's. There's the word. There's the word. He's been sitting out there playing that harp, meditating on that word. Hang on a second. I know I need to hush, but let me give you, let me give you a couple of things here. this pulled up so I'll go to read it to you and then it's gone so let me pull it up again I've never read these in church before you're the you're the you're the first Exodus 14 14, the Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Exodus 14, 25, and he took their chariot wheels after he dra they drave heavily. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. It, it's well documented that God fights our battles. And that's what David was telling him. David said, I got word, 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 word about God fighting for me. I don't have to fight you. David never called him a giant, never gave him any honor, never gave him any respect, never gave him any credibility. All he ever called him was a loser. You're an uncircumcised Philistine. Amen. Deuteronomy uh, 3.22, you shall not fear them for the Lord your God. He shall fight for you. Second Chronicles 20, 29, and the fear of the God was on the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that the Lord fought against the armies of Israel. And there's about 10 or 15 more here. Just, just, just Google in, God fights our battles for us. And that's what David had been meditating on. God fights my battles for you, and uh, here's some word for you. He, the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And so he ran toward the, the Philistine. He slung the stone, hit him in the forehead. He fell over on his face. David ran, jumps up on his back. Pulls his own sword out, glass own sword out, cuts it off, his head off. Then he just takes the bloody thing, hair, teeth, and eyeballs, the head, back up to Saul and says, I don't think he'll bother you anymore. <clears throat> then it says something real funny here in, 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 first, in first Samuel 17. It says that he, he went and put Saul's head, uh, glass head and, arm, and armor in his tent. Sounds like a teenager, doesn't it? 
If you go to my house and my office, I got deer heads and I got pheasant and I got ducks and I got all kind of stuff up on the wall that me and my boys have shot. Well, David had glass heads. You walk in David's tent and he says, yeah, I shot that. I killed that. <laughs> glass up there going. Well, say the, say the blood, the name, the word, the covenant, the power of the Holy Spirit, the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't lose. I have a covenant. Amen.